Well, I'd like to thank Natasha for ministering in song. Uh, we had Natasha at our harvest last Monday night. She's been a regular also at our services in Cumber and also at our gospel mission, the tent mission we held in the month of May and June. Uh, I'd just like to thank your minister for the very kind words of welcome and the warm welcome I have received already from those folks that I've met before the service. It is a joy and a privilege just to be back in Lurgan again. It still is my hometown, as our brother mentioned. We have a lot in common. Notice he didn't say we shared the same barber. He didn't mention that at all, not one bit, but it was obvious. I thought he's getting to that point. He's bound to be saying about the, the barber that we share the same barber and the same hairstyle. We just go and get a short back and shine now rather than a cut. And uh, But uh, we have a lot in common, and the Lord certainly... Uh, blessed his ministry in Cumber, and as I went there as their minister was ordained a number of years ago, I've entered into the labor of uh, both Murrays, the, the Reverend Samuel and the Reverend Thomas Murray. They did a great work in Cumber, and I have entered into their labor. I haven't sown as much as they did, some 30 years of ministry between these two men, and they certainly did a tremendous foundation. They're well thought of, by the way, down in Cumber. I'm still establishing myself, trying to better these men, but it's an impossibility. But thankfully, the Lord has been blessing us. We've been encouraged by the work of God. We had a great mission in the tent in the month of May and uh, the start of June, and there was hundreds through that tent door, and I literally mean that. It has to be one of the best tent missions I've ever been involved in. I started gospel campaigning even before I went into Bible college, and I have to say that of all the missions that we have been involved in, that has to rank maybe perhaps the best we've ever had, and there's a number of souls saved, quite a number, and even there's still the mission's not over. We had uh, another person saved who was at the mission, and then last Friday night, we had another young person converted, and it's good to know not only have they been saved, but some who are going to their own churches are out at their meetings, and those that are coming to us are not only out at the meetings, but they're out at the prayer meeting as well. That's a real sign the Lord has done a definite work, and we're thankful to the Lord that he has been blessing us down in Cumber. It's a joy to be with you in your harvest. I congratulate those who have decorated the church. We had our harvest, and the Reverend Ian Harris uh, from Analong said, we don't do much down in, uh, down in Mourn uh, Kingdom. We hardly put much out. Well, Cumber was a bit overkill. That's all I can say. I've never seen a harvest like it. There's no famine in Cumber and North Down. That's all I can say. And I'm actually an individual, as you know, from Lurgan, so I'm a townie. You know what a townie is, don't you? Just look at me. If you wanted a, a picture dictionary and you wanted a face to put to the word townie, you'd take a picture of me and set it beside the word townie. That's what a townie is. I was brought up in a concrete jungle. We never had gardens. We never had vegetable patches. You cut your grass. I power hose mine. It was a blue circle garden. Now, you younger ones wouldn't know what blue circle garden means. It means it's a cement garden. That's all it was. Or a bit of tarmac or rough stone. That's all it was. And I don't eat vegetables. I do not eat vegetables. And uh, there's only one other minister that I know and I think it's Natasha's minister, the Reverend Timothy Omerod. He doesn't eat vegetables, and he's moved up to North Down. See, they grow nothing else up there but vegetables. You couldn't get a Mars bar up there at all. You have to come down to Lurgan to get it. I don't eat vegetables, yet I get all these invitations to harvest services. I always chuckle. I always have a laugh to myself. Why do they ask a townie 
to come and preach on the harvest. And then Thomas Martin, of all people, I get dozens, and I mean that, dozens and dozens and dozens of opportunities to preach at the harvest. And I want to tell you this, folks, I mean this, I didn't even know the difference between hay and straw. Apparently there is. And I've been told by a lot of farmers what the difference is. It's about eight pound a bale. No, I mean, it's, uh, the difference is, that's why the farmers answer the question, what's the difference between straw and hay? About eight pound. That's how they work it out. I don't want to offend the farmers. I was in Lisburn. It was full of farmers. Boys, did I, did I offend them? You couldn't even, there's a hymn there and it says, Lord grant us. You couldn't even sing that. Once they hear the word grant, they go, what, grant, grant? Who's talking about grants? No, I did see it on the screen and I laughed to myself and he said, there's that word grant at harvest time, the farming community. Of course, they said to me one time at the door, you know nothing about farming. And they're right, absolutely. You know nothing about farming. And they're constantly trying to get me on a tractor, trying to get pictures of me in the farm. And they're trying to get me in a pair of brown trader boots, a pair of jeans. It ain't going to happen. That's all I can tell you. It ain't going to happen. And if it does, then uh, you can shoot me. <laughs> But they, they, they do keep me going, but I keep them going. And I remember doing a mission in Bellamina, and I was keeping the farming community going. I was having a bit of a laugh with them, but they don't always like a joke, you know. But they began to shake my hand at the door, and I mean they crushed the wee townie's hand. Now, this is the truth. I'm telling you. I wouldn't tell a lie anyway. But there was hundreds came to that mission. I testified on the Friday night, and there was over a 1,000 people came into that mission. And I shook their hands. I had to tell them after the first week to stop. They were crushing my hand. And I mean that. My hand was actually bruised at the bottom. And I had to tell the Reverend Greer, uh, or to tell, sorry, the congregation, and I mentioned the Reverend Greer, they have to stop shaking hands at the door because my hand's too sore. They literally crushed. And the more I joked about the farming community, the more they crushed my hand. And you know the farmers, you know the farmers. If I was standing at the door tonight, I would be able to close my eyes and I'll be able to tell the handshake of a farmer. See, the hands on them like a, a navvy shovel. The hands on them like sandpaper. That's only their wives. The men are worse than that. <laughs> they have hands on them like the bucket of a JCB. And see if you preached well, hit you a good slap on the back, and they just put the old tiny, tiny shoulder out. They think they're slapping an old cow going into the milking parlor. You preach well the night, and bang on the shoulder. Oh, that's a tiny you're hitting, you know. Not a big farmer. Well enough of keeping the farming community going. Uh, but I'm the sort of minister who goes to the farmyard. He goes in and he drives in and the farmer sees him coming, says to the wife and family, here, there's the townie from Cumber. Let's give him a bit of stick. But I take the wind out of their sail. Once the door opens and they're about to give me some, some jip and some stick, I say, excuse me, before you say anything, six of your chickens have stopped laying. And they would say to me, well, how would you know that as a townie? I says, because I just run over them as I was coming in. <laughs> so you wouldn't want me to come to your house. You wouldn't want me to come anywhere near your place. That's all I can say. Uh, but the farmers, they're good people. And they work hard. And sure, we would starve without them. But I wouldn't because I don't eat vegetables. <laughs> so, okay, enough about the farming community. But I mean this. It is a joy to be with you, not only tonight in the harvest, but also to be the resident resident evangelist for the week. We trust the Lord will be with us and he'll richly bless us through the ministry of his word. Let's get down to the Bible reading and the burden of my message. Psalm, 20, or Psalm 126, please. Psalm 126. I want to read the psalm together. Psalm 126, a song of degrees. 
Psalm 126, let us all hear the word of the Lord. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Amen. We'll end our reading there at the verse 6. We know the Lord will indeed bless the public reading of his own precious and infallible word. Verses 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaths with him. Let's just bow briefly in a word of prayer as we seek the Lord's face and ask for help in the ministry of the word. Loving Father, we do thank thee for that which has gone before, the singing of these harvest hymns, the reminder of the Lord's faithfulness and goodness to us. And we do acknowledge We do acknowledge thy benevolence and compassion and mercy and thy faithfulness even throughout the earth. Not only do we have tokens of our own produce, but that which we are dependent upon throughout the earth, that which our nation imports to this country in order to feed its people. We thank thee that we have tokens from across the earth present here in this building, whereby we can say the Lord has been faithful and seed time and harvest will not cease. And we acknowledge thy goodness, not only in the temporal, thank you for the harvest you've given to us. We think of the spiritual harvest. We thank thee, Lord, for precious souls that have been brought in. We rejoice, O God, in the salvation of the lost. We thank thee, Lord, for sinners who commence this year out of Christ without a Savior, and they've been brought to repentance and faith, and they have trusted Christ, and they're saved by sovereign grace. They're born of thy Spirit and washed in the Savior's blood. We thank thee it's well with their soul, and they have been harvested for God. But then, Lord, we think especially of a harvest that awaits even through the preaching of the gospel. We know that Christ shall see of the travel of his soul, and he shall be abundantly satisfied. Christ will build his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Lord, we pray that you'll harvest souls during this harvest gospel mission. Grant, Lord, that sinners will be called to repentance and faith in Christ. They may look to the cross, to the finished work, to the precious shed blood, and believe and be saved. So to this end, Almighty God, I stand now as a candidate publicly for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I pray for that anointing that will enable me now to preach Christ and Him crucified, to lift up the bloodstained banner of the cross, and to preach and rightly divide the word of life. To this end, Father, I ask Thee now for the infilling of the Spirit of the living God with wisdom and power, and in answer now to prayer, save the lost, restore the backslidden, revive the church, We ask these things, believing with thanksgiving in Jesus' precious and worthy name. And the people of God said, Amen. You know, as a denomination, and along with many others who are faithful to the blood and to the book, we are on the front line. We've got to remember that. We're on the front line when it comes to winning the lost for Christ. 
There are many so-called preaching houses, and we're not here to condemn anyone, but they do not preach the gospel. There are others who preached well for years, and now they have no Sunday evening service. And I'll tell you this, before the Sunday evening service stopped, the prayer meeting ceased. For why do you need a prayer meeting to pray for people that you're not going to preach to? I want to tell you something. There are few denominations, but thankfully many outside our own, that are faithful to the blood and to the book, and we join with them in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We recognize that it's binding upon the church today. I believe before the Lord's return, there will be an interest. There will be a growth of concern concerning the Great Commission, going into all the world and seeing precious souls won for Christ. There are many reasons why we should evangelize. I contend that in every denomination faithful to Christ, that there should be an evangelistic message preached on the Lord's day. We're getting to the stage, I believe, where that will be in the decline. Will there be no gospel preached on the Lord's day? There will be no gospel campaigns. I'm thankful to the Lord that I am hearing of many gospel missions this past while, and it gladdens my heart as I'm sure it does yours. That's why I'm thankful that you have been given the burden by God to evangelize the town of Lurgan and to reach out to the lost in this place. And I trust the Lord will bless us. There are many reasons why we should evangelize. The very command of Christ is the first one. Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. And I know people will say to you and me, don't you preach to me. We have the authority of the one who is the sole king and only head of the church, the one who is the Lord of the harvest, the one who is the second person of the triune Jehovah God. And Christ says, go ye and preach the gospel. We cannot be silent. We have got to be militant. We have got to be strong. We have got to be forthright. We have got to be brave. You've got to be courageous. Don't let the fear of man stop you telling souls about Christ. They need to hear. As our brother said, you'll thank them for bringing them to a gospel mission, for witnessing to their soul. And the command of Christ is binding upon us. And the church needs to catch the vision and to rediscover the Great Commission and to evangelize and to pray for our missionaries. And we're thankful as a denomination and many others too that they're sending forth laborers into the harvest fields and young men and young women are being trained and they're being equipped and they're being sent forth by the local church into the harvest fields and we're thankful Another reason for evangelism is God's love for sinners. We cannot forget that God loves sinners, that He so loved this world He gave the darling of His bosom. And the Lord Jesus Christ came, who is God blessed forevermore, virgin born, entered into this world, born as a man, dwelt amongst men, and then lived a sinlessly perfect life because He loves sinners. 
And then he went the whole way to Calvary, suffered, bled, and died, took the sinner's place, died as the substitute, and then rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And now in the gospel, he calls and he commands and he seeks to win and woo sinners because he loves sinners. And we must realize that God is not willing that any should perish. And the Bible tells me that he would have all men come to a knowledge of the truth, and he would have all to be saved. And you see, it's not God's unwillingness, it's man's unwillingness to repent and to believe that's the fault. But I want to tell you something. There are many other reasons we could give for evangelizing. I believe these are the two great reasons. The command of God and the love of Christ. But there is another reason that certainly motivates me and I'm sure every faithful minister and pastor. And it is the doctrine of everlasting punishment. I have no difficulty in the concept of hell. There's one word associated with hell that disturbs me, and I mean this. It takes sleep from my eyes. It gets me up at three o'clock in the morning thinking of it. And it's the word forever. Now, did you hear that? It's the word forever. And I want to tell you something. The doctrine of hell and everlasting punishment certainly is at least in the top ten, maybe three, of reasons why we should be evangelizing. Now, the devil seeks to hide this truth from those that are lost. The devil blinds the minds of them that believe not. They make jokes about hell. They tell us, well, you know, hell will be a great place because I'll be chief stoker in hell. We've been laughed at at the door. They've told us, listen, when I get to hell, it'll be one big party, you know. It'll be one beautiful nightclub. And there'll be none of you holy Joes, none of you individuals to prick our conscience. And some have even said, my mum and my dad and my grandparents, I'll not hear their voice in my ear anymore. And up receiving all these uh, lectures and sermons from my loved ones and so good so individuals who call themselves do-gooders. I'll be able to enjoy hell. But I want to tell you something, friend. Hell is the blackness of darkness forever. Did you know that? Did you know that? That disembodied spirits right now, did you know that? Disembodied spirits right now are floating in the confines of hell. And they never, ever come into contact with another created being. The devil and his angels will never come into contact with human beings. Human beings will never, in hell, come into contact with fallen devil or demons. There's not a single human being will ever meet, did you know that? Another fellow human being in the place where God has forgotten to be gracious. Hell, sadly, is a forgotten doctrine. There's a great book called Whatever Happened to Hell by John Blanchard. I know it's wordy and it's long. If you're a believer, buy the book and read it. It doesn't make for bedtime reading, by the way. Whatever happened to hell? And what happened to it? Where did it go? Was it willed out of existence by an unbelieving world? Has it been mocked and derided so it becomes now a joke? I want to tell you, my friend, that's why sinners play loose with sin. 
That's why sinners fail to understand the righteousness and holiness of God. That's why those who are vile and wretched, and when you meet them, they say, well, I hope to go to heaven. They have no concept of God's righteousness, God's holiness. And I know He's a God of love and a God of grace. I've been a recipient of His love. I've been a recipient of His matchless, wondrous grace. I have been an object of His compassion and His everlasting mercy. And I thank Him forever for setting His love on me. But at the same time, He's holy and He's just. And friends, there is a hell. Now, there's a danger that the church, that the believer, that the Christian does not take hell serious enough. I wonder, when was the last time as preachers we dealt at length with the subject of everlasting punishment? Sometimes it's not a popular or a palatable, and it certainly would not be something praiseworthy at the door. You'll not get a pat on the back for preaching like that. I preached at a funeral at an evangelistic church in this province. After I finished that funeral, people came up to me out of that church, and they said these words to me. You know, we have never heard the name hell mentioned in this church in 10 years. Now, I want to tell you it's not apostate. It's not ecumenical. It's an evangelistic church. And you would imagine, well, there's someone disgruntled. There's someone who's not happy. But he wasn't. He was a faithful member of that church. And many others said the same thing. In 10 years, he hadn't heard, not a sermon, but the very word hell preached. It might be that you, as an unsaved person, have given no thought to hell. It may even be you as a believer. It's been a long time from you considered the doctrine of hell. But men and women, the fact that God has a place that's so foul, so terrible, so horrible, so vile, reserved for all who die without Christ, without God, without blood, without salvation, without new birth. I have to tell you this. It is the most alarming fact in God's created universe. And I want to tell you something. It disturbs me. And I have prayed God would lift the lid of hell for me. And he's already done it before I even ask. Luke chapter 16 is God lifting the lid of hell. And we should take a constant look into hell. It's one doctrine that I keep before me as an evangelist. While I have an eye to Calvary, and I have an eye to the power of the gospel, I also have a heart and a mind to think of that place where the worm dieth not, and the fire is never quenched, and there are men and women, and there are loved ones, and they're going to hell, and there's no easy way to say that. And they're lost, and if they die in their sin, that's what Christ said. You want the most solemn words of Christ ever spoken on earth? I'll give you them. The most solemn words were spoken to religious people, and the Lord Jesus Christ said to them these words, it would break your heart. Ye shall die in your sin. And where I am, you cannot come. They think of it. Hell has no exits. And if you die in your sin, listen to me. Where Jesus is, you'll never be. Now, Christian, let me ask you a question. Does that not disturb you? Does that not trouble you? Do you not think seriously about hell? 
Does it not motivate you? How hard has your heart become? That even now, there's little thought of that place. But I want to tell you, my friend, hell burns as we speak. People from this province are passing out into hell, and they're dying in their sin. Some have heard the gospel, some haven't. I want to tell you that. To coin a phrase, hell hasn't gone away, you know. Disembodied spirits float about hell right at this present time, and they're in the torments and agonies of hell, and they're suffering. I want to tell you now, suffering for all eternity. And I've often thought, Lord, is it forever? Does the Bible mean forever, forever, forever? Is there no hope? Is there no plan B, Lord? Is there not? In all of your infinite wisdom, until I'm reminded there are many things God can do. I may preach on this in the mission. There are many things God can do. One thing He cannot do, He cannot take your soul out of hell if you die in your sin without Christ. And God is all-powerful, and there's nothing my God cannot do. I won't do want to contradict theology, but there's one thing he cannot do, an impossibility with God. Millions of people on planet earth are standing on the brink of the pit of hell, and one step in death will bring them out to the caverns of the damned, into the blackness of darkness forever, and into the place where the worm doth not, and the fire is never quenched. Now listen to this. I want you to look at me. Now listen to me. John Blanchard in that book, Whatever Happened to Hell, he had this quote, and it has never left me. Never left me. It disturbs me. He said in that book, I quote, Nobody can think seriously about hell and remain emotionally unaffected. The thought that after a few years on life on earth, an untold number of human beings will be cast away as worthless and spend eternity in indescribable agony, it's overwhelming, unquote. Think of it. An untold number, millions of human beings, will be thrown away as worthless and spend in indescribable agony an eternity in hell. He says it's overwhelming. You know, it's radical when the church catches the vision of God's love for sinners and Christ's command to evangelize and then the thought, the thought of everlasting hell. Therefore, we must do all we can to reach the lost for Christ. That's why I believe a, a text like we have this evening will greatly encourage and I trust it will motivate. And I know your minister has already preached and he's already stirred you up. And I know that your minister has already brought God's word to you concerning evangelism. And I know you've already been round the area and round the doors. And I've received messages from unsaved people in this town who says they're coming to the mission. They got your invite. That's the fruit for your labor. But our text tonight, I think, will reinforce our text tonight might just re-emphasize. It might just for you underscore the need to evangelize. Who knows? You don't, neither do I, that this could be the last mission for many people 
in this town of Lurgan, the last opportunity to come to Christ. And therefore, I want to bring the text to you as I close, and I want to break it down for you so that you'll understand the text. I want you to think of soul winning. I want you to think of evangelism. I want you to think of reaching out to the lost. And I want you to think, first of all, of the pathway of the soul winner. Look what it says in the text in verse 6. The pathway of the soul winner. The soul winner's pathway. He that goeth forth. I want to tell you something. We do not evangelize just within the four walls of our churches. Now, I know we've got online ministry and we can reach out. I know that. But how many sinners in Lurgan tune in? I'd say 90% are believers. We know they're unsaved. They've contacted us. And we know that some, even in this very year, have contacted us to tell us they've been saved through online ministry. We had a family in our church in Cumber. And whenever I was there about a year and a half, they were tuning in online. And they got to know the preaching and the, the stand of the church. And they started to attend and they got saved. But it was actually through online ministry. But we need to evangelize beyond the four walls of our church. And if, and we're talking about every church faithful to the blood and book, if we only fish on a small pool on a Sunday night, there's not a lot of fish in there. There's not a lot of fish. I'm not despising the ones and twos. I'm not. We're thankful for every sinner comes to our meeting. But I'm saying to you, and I like to fish, but you're fishing in a giant lake and there's only one fish in that lake. You would like a lot more. And I tell you, friends, we need to be active. We need to be up and doing. The soul winner's pathway is he that goeth forth. You see, we don't want to be sitting idly by in this mission. If it's the last week that you will give to Christ, would you not want to give the best? If at the end of this mission, the Lord would return or he would call us all home to heaven, would you not like to say, Lord, I gave the last week of my life to evangelizing, to honoring the Great Commission, to reaching out to my family and to my friends and to my neighbors and even to those I don't know. And I'll tell you, when God begins to work, you'll receive a holy boldness. I'm telling you, I've known that myself. We had a tremendous mission in Cumber. And there was a holy boldness when we met sinners. I'm telling you, there was a holy boldness and there was a conversation and it immediately was turned around to spiritual things and you could see the Spirit of God working. And people were saved there and then. It was pressed home to them now and they were saved there and they were saved then, right at that moment. And they came to Christ and they're going on with the Lord. We don't want to be sitting idly by. It's a pathway I know of hardship. Because sinners will mock you. They'll reject you. They'll throw the track down. I want to tell you, there'll be people here tonight and you could stand in this pulpit and you might just say this, I threw many a track down. I know that I threw many of John Dummigan's tracks down when I was going into Moorview Park. Some I kept in my pocket. There are people who didn't even uh, take an invitation to a gospel meeting. There might be some here and they refuse to come to meetings and they wouldn't come to a gospel meeting and now you're saved. Why? Someone persevered. Someone kept coming to you. Someone kept reaching out to you. Someone kept praying for you. You know why? Because God loves you and He sends people your way for a reason, doesn't He? 
so he might evangelize your soul. He could do it himself, and sometimes he does, but he uses the human agent and the instrument, and we have got to realize it's a pathway of hardship. It's not easy. I remember one of the first missions I ever did. It was in the Memorial Hall in Upper Ballandary. I want to tell you that night, I think there were eight people in that meeting, and, and there were two of them were preachers, myself and my brother-in-law, Gary. My wife, June, and his wife, Margaret. So that's one, two, four. There was the organist. That's five. There were seven people. There was the organist. And then there was one man come in, and he was a backslider. And there was another man come in, and he was unsaved. I want to tell you who that man was. He was my uncle, my uncle Alec. And I'm not saying too much here, but he was homeless. He slept on the Lurgan Park bench. He says, Alec, you've slept in some rare places, boy. You slept on the park bench. And he says, I've slept in worse than that. And my first thoughts were, what could be worse <laughs> than Lurgan Park bench? And he says, well, tell me where it was. He says, one night, he says, I went to a party. And he says, they wouldn't let me in. And there was this huge dog kennel with an Alsatian in it. And he says, I grabbed it by the ears. He's a brave man. He was full drunk. He says, I pulled it out and I got in. And he says, the dog came in around me and kept me warm. He says, Alec, unbelievable. Alec was a, an alcoholic, buckfast wine. And he really was a punch bag every time he went to the Windsor Bar. And he was homeless, destitute, terrible looking in his appearance. I met him one time when I was doing that mission. And he says, Alec, he said to me, Thomas, what are you doing with yourself? I said, I'm hoping to go into Bible college, but at the minute I'm doing a gospel mission. And I thought, would you come? He says, I will. And I thought to myself, this is true. He says, I you will, I right. He says, I will. And I looked at him. And I says, you'll come. I says, well, I'll tell you what, tomorrow night I'll pick you up. And he lived around Carnegie Street direction. I want to tell you, it was a derelict house. I arrived and there was hardly curtains in it. And I thought, surely he's not living here. There was no movement, and he asked me, "Ah, well, forget about that. The door opened, and there he was. He'd gone up to the local charity shop and got himself a suit and all. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. Went to the meeting, I told you, there were only seven there. There was one who was a backslider. One was unsaved, and the preacher that night was my brother-in-law, Gary Shields, and here's the way he went. Maybe, friend, you're here tonight, and I think... He knows at least four or five. There's two he doesn't. He says, and you're here tonight and you're backslidden. Well, that's that man over here. I was embarrassed. He says, maybe you're here and you're not saved. And he's me, oh, me Uncle Alec. <laughs> you couldn't hide. You couldn't get away. And when he finished the meeting, here's what he says. Now, if you want to speak to us, and by the way, there was only one person left the meeting. There was only one person left the meeting. That was the backslider. If you want to speak to us, here's what I want you to do. Go out through the door, make your way to the right-hand side, and come up that uh, path, and I'll meet you in the kitchen. And I thought, of all the places, first of all, the drain pipe's leaking. It's full of moss, and the light's not working. He's going to break his neck, and plus he'll not come. But 20 minutes later, a guy came out of the, the room, and he said, that man came round. I couldn't believe it. How did he get round? Did he not break his neck? He says he got... He got restored to the Lord. We couldn't believe it. The next day, Alec, I met my Uncle Alec in the Lurgan Town Center, and he said to me, Tom, I got saved last night. And many of you know Alec. And for at least 16 years in this town of Lurgan, Alec bore testimony to the power of the gospel. It wasn't easy to ask him to come. He came, 
and God saved him. And I want to tell you now, in the authority of God's mercy and grace and word, Alec Dugan is in heaven. He's in heaven. And he's with Christ, which is far better. It's a pathway of hardship, isn't it? But I want to tell you it's a pathway of humility. You know why? Because the Bible says if you will come after me, then you're to deny yourself and you're to take up your cross and follow the Lord. You're to die to sin. You're to die to self. If you want to soul win, you've got to sacrifice. It'll cost you to win souls for Christ. And I want to tell you, you've got to die to sin and self. I like to fish. I really like to fish. I haven't been doing much this past while. But I like to fish. And a man said to me, he says, Tom, do you know the two great rules of fishing? I says, well, I know a few rules. But he says, no, no, do you know the two great rules? I says, no, I don't. Tell me. He says, the first rule is this, keep out of sight. I says, that's a good rule. Yep, you keep out of sight. And do you know what the second rule is? No, I don't. He says, keep completely out of sight. I says, that's it. He says, that's it. Keep out of sight. Keep completely out of sight. Because if the fish see you, you'll never catch them. What a spiritual lesson. See if the fish see your old temper and the fish see your maybe behavior and demeanor, you'll chase them away. I was witnessing to a Roman Catholic. And as I was witnessing to that Roman Catholic, he mentioned a Christian's name to me and I knew that person. And he says, do you know such and such? And of course I did. He says, now, you're telling me that I am a sinner, that I need to be saved, that Christ died for me, and that I need to repent, I need to be born again. If I want to be in heaven, I've got to trust Christ, receive him into my heart as my own and personal Savior, and turn from my sin. That's what you're saying? He says, yes, that's exactly what the Bible says. That's what sinners do in order to be saved. And here's what he says. Well, let me tell you about this person. You know that person? I says, of course I do. He says, do you know that they're doing the same wickedness as I'm doing? And friends, I want to tell you something. I knew that. I knew that well. And he says, now you're telling me that me, for me to get to heaven, I need to stop doing what he's doing. But he's going to heaven. I tried to explain that Christians can backslide. Christians are not perfect. I tried to explain, but to this day I couldn't. Friends, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I witnessed, but see, after that, I could not speak to that man. And he wouldn't have me even evangelize his soul. I heard through the grapevine just recently that he had passed away. And I often wonder, where is he? Where is he? Because some Christian was seen and not Christ. And chased that fish away. And he may never have been caught. I pray God that he has been saved. And he is in heaven. And he knows the Lord. And he died in Christ. But it grieves your heart, doesn't it? I remember a young girl testifying. And she says in the workplace where she worked, and she worked in an ordinary shop, she says there was a Christian beside her. And she watched that Christian every day. Every day, the way she handled things, the way she spoke to the public, when there was some person who wasn't pleasant, how they actually reacted to that person. This person stood up when they got saved and they testified. And here's what they said. They said, I saw Christ first in a work colleague that I worked with for 16 years. Now you think of that. She saw Christ first in a believer. Did Paul 
not see Christ first in Stephen? He didn't see a coward. He didn't see one who couldn't stand for what he believed in. He didn't see one who didn't love the one that he professed. He saw Christ in Stephen. I want to tell you something. Don't let self be seen as we go forth with the gospel. It's a pathway of haste. You see, friends, we need to reach out. The, the time is short. We don't know when the Lord will return. We don't know when a person will die. We just don't know what will happen. And with these diseases now, we don't know. We don't know how long any of us have to live. I may not even preach at this mission. Only God knows the will of God be done. But I want to tell you, the Lord says, lift up your eyes, look in the fields. They're white already to harvest. In our tent mission in Cumber, we decided to go into one of the areas in Newton Ards. It's one of those areas, I don't want to mention it publicly, but it's well known now. It's where the feud is between loyalist paramilitaries. It's a very wicked place. And there's certain individuals we felt couldn't go near that place. We didn't want them to go in there. It's an evil place, but some of us did go in. We sat in their homes of those men. And I want to tell you this, it was frightening. And yet I've been housed with psychopaths in prison. But in those homes we feared for our very lives. But we were able to get the gospel to them. We were able to preach to them. And when I want to tell you something, God being my witness now, we got some of them out to the tent mission. Who would have believed that? The police certainly wouldn't believe it. The police certainly wouldn't believe it. But there's one of them. And I'm going to mention his name. I'm doing it for a reason. For even the police went round to this area to have a talk to him, Peter Callahan. And Peter got saved at that tent mission. And he wrote to the very police station in Newton Ards. And he wrote to the police and he apologized for the way he had treated them over his life. Now, I don't know what crimes he ever committed. I don't, didn't want to know. But he was a man who was genuinely repentant and to receive Christ as a Savior. He came out to our meetings. He came out to our prayer meetings. He even prayed. Some of his friends couldn't believe, and he says he's on the path to God. And what a change. Do you know what he did? Believe it or not, although he was a loyalist paramilitary, listen to me, I'm telling you the truth. He was a Roman Catholic. That's right, from Donegal. No loyalism, it's criminality. But let me tell you something. He found his mother and he told her. And he wrote to his sister in England and he told her. And his family even said, there's such a change in our Peter. Now I tell you why I'm giving you the illustration. Because a few months ago, he was found dead in that very area where the feud is. In tragic circumstances. And it's broken our hearts. But I want to tell you, if Peter Callahan hadn't come on that week of that mission that we were, those two weeks that we were doing that mission, who knows he could have been in hell. You see, the time is short. That was the last mission. That was the last opportunity. And here's a man, the last man in North Down you would ever imagine would be in a gospel meeting. And his friends were there. And there were others from other parts of North Down. 
in those tent meetings. And I want to tell you something. After those meetings, one man said to me, Tom, listen to me. He says, God has spoken to me in this meeting, but I have to get out of Newton Arge tonight. And you could see the worry in that man's face. He fled after the mission, after that meeting, sorry. Fled. And I wouldn't be surprised if you hear of individuals being taken out into eternity. The time is short. The day of mercy is drawing to a close. And soon will come the dark night of sin and rejection. And we need to reach out to the lost. I want you to think very quickly. I know my time is gone. The pathway. I want you to think of the soul winner's passion. Notice what it says there. And weepeth. I'll try and use this as a conclusion then. And these points. But think of the soul winner's passion. Look at Psalm 126. He that goeth forth and weepeth. That's a very strong word in the Hebrew. And I'm not trying to be smart. Because you all know me. A prophet is not without honor except it's not without honor except in his own hometown. So you know me well. I murder the English language. What are you talking about Hebrew for? Well, I, I borrow my knowledge as many others do. But I have read, I've looked at it, I've looked at lexicons, I've looked at the Hebrew word. And it's the strongest word you could use for weep. Do you know what it is? It really means deep distress. It was used of Hagar. One of the first mentions this word was ever used of Hagar. Remember Hagar was cast out and she was lonely. And the Bible says she lifted up her voice and wept. Well, it means distressed. Think of it. Think of it. He that goeth forth distressed. Is that how we reach the lost? Or is it a casual affair here? There's an invitation. That's the blood off my skirt and my hands. That's, that's me clear for the judgment day. Do whatever you like with it. I tell you, that's not evangelism, friend. That's hypocrisy. That's sham. That's what that is. That's a fraud. And by the way, it doesn't clear the blood off our skirts. It doesn't. And it may ease the conscience a little on earth, but it'll not ease the conscience at the judgment at the bema when the wood hen stubble will be burned away. But I want to tell you something. It means distress. It was used whenever they saw that Aaron was dead and the people wept. And so this word, this word weepeth, literally means to be distressed and to mourn for someone as if they had died. And friends, I want to tell you that's what sinners are. Sinners are lost, and they're dead in their sin and their trespasses. They cannot save themselves, and their condition is hopeless unless the Lord convicts them and brings them to repentance and faith, unless they look by faith to Christ, unless they come themselves to the cross, unless they believe, unless they receive Christ into their heart as their own and personal Savior, they'll be lost. And I want to tell you something, as we go forth with the gospel, there ought to be concern, there ought to be distress for the sinner. We call it passion. Someone said to me one time these words, you know, I, I go to hear you preach, but I don't like it when you shout. And then whenever you shout, you sound angry. You know what I said to them? You're wrong. You're totally wrong. I refute that. I'm not an angry man. I'll tell you what it is, and you don't understand it. It's called passion. That's what it's called. It's called Passion. And therefore, we need to preach with feeling, with a distressed soul, and with a burden as if the sinner's about to die. And if they die, then we will mourn for them, for they'll be lost for all eternity. The soul winner's pathway, the soul winner's passion. I want you to think here of the soul winner's power. Notice what it says here, bearing precious seed. Now, that's remarkable. 
Because I hear people say, I couldn't evangelize, you know. I couldn't knock doors. I couldn't engage people. I couldn't do it the way some people do. And they've got the natural gift of the gab. And they can talk to people. They can open up a situation. They can enter in. They can open up the Bible. I couldn't do that. Friends, listen to me now. Listen to me. Here's the power of the soul winner. It does not reside in your mastery of language. It does not reside in your oratory power. It doesn't. It's not in the skill of your hand, and it's not in the words of your mouth. Although they are important, and we speak the words of God in truth with a love for the souls of men, but I want to tell you something. It's the Word of God that is the power of God. It's the gospel. That's the dynamite of God unto salvation. And Paul says, writing to Hebrew believers, the Word of God is quick and powerful. And if you want to give sinners anything, give them a copy of God's Word. I gave one of my relatives a copy of God's Word for her 60th birthday. My relatives all says, what are you getting her for, for her birthday? She's 60, you know. I'm getting crystal. I'm getting a, a voucher. I'm going to get her this. I'm going to get her that. And they, all these things. And then they looked at me and they says, and what are you going to get her? I says, I'm getting her a Bible. Oh, here we go. Bible thumping. That's what they said. Bible thumper. Imagine that, shoving it down her throat. You know something? I didn't care about those comments because I could see my aunt as a soul that needed to be saved. And I had witness to her personally. And I bought her the Bible. I don't know how long it was after that, but she was diagnosed with liver cancer. She had about six weeks to live. Mr. Crane, the past minister of this house, he went to visit a person from this congregation. And every time he went to visit, the person was away for scans or x-rays or tests. Until at length, my aunt was lying in hospital. And she said, are you Mr. Crane? He says, you know, I have relatives go to your church. You might even know my nephew, Thomas Martin. Yes, I do indeed. Mr. Crane got chatting to her, and he had the joy of pointing my aunt to the Lord. I went to visit her. And when I walked into the ward, she had a massive smile on her face. And I says, Mary, you have something to say to me, have you? She says, I have. I got saved. And can I tell you, Thomas, from the day you gave me that Bible, I haven't stopped reading it. Now, friends, I'm not putting down the nice gifts that my other relatives bought her, but I didn't see a crystal vase sitting beside her bedside. I didn't see a lovely necklace or piece of jewelry. I was even looking for the voucher. It wasn't there. Looking for the flowers. They weren't there. The only thing was there was the Bible. And the reading of that Bible brought my Aunt Mary to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Could you not give out a Bible to someone? When was the last time you and I gave a copy of the Bible? Now, I have to be careful what I say, because my eldest boy's not walking with the Lord. And he come home with a beautiful Bible. Now, my understanding, and I may get this wrong, but it was either this church or people out of this church that gave my son a Bible. They gave the two bands, is it the Fusiliers and Craig Adam Protestant Boys, a copy of the Word of God. And he came home, and it's sitting in his room. And I says, Aaron, would you not start reading your Bible again? But terrible if we're telling the unsaved, and Christian, you never read your Bible today. Wouldn't that be awful? You never read your Bible today. The greatest gift apart from salvation 
the Scriptures of truth. I want to tell you, friend, we've got to realize that there's power in the gospel. I remember reading a little story. You probably heard it, and I need to, need to finish. I remember reading a little story, and this young girl, a wee tiny girl, she wanted her dad out to church. She was saved herself. Her mum was saved, and she wanted her dad out to church, and he wouldn't go. And even though the wee girl came with eyes lit up and that smiling face that really you couldn't deny, the father says, no, no, I'm not going. Daddy, you'll come to church. No, no, Daddy, this Sunday you'll come to church. And he wouldn't go. And eventually she wore him down. She wore him down. And she got him to church. And he walked in and the little girl got in behind him. And coming through the door, she literally got in behind him. And she pushed him in. And she says, here he is, Jesus. Save him. (laughs) Wouldn't that be good? Now, I don't want you to do that during the mission. (laughs) Push them in. As an adult, just fire them in. Here he is, Lord. Deal with them. You'll scare the living daylights of them and they'll run out through this door. But you know, isn't that remarkable? That child felt, if I could get my dad under the sound of the gospel, that's not how she was reasoning. She said, if I could get him to church, that's the place where Jesus is. That's the place I got saved and he'll get saved. Do you see? She believed that through the preaching of the gospel, souls get saved and it is true. I never forget, a girl came to our church to testify this year. And she stood up in the pulpit and she testified and it nearly broke my heart. And she says, you know, the Reverend Martin was preaching one night in a gospel meeting and he was preaching from Isaiah 53. And as he was preaching the gospel, I was sitting there as an unsaved woman and God spoke to me when I saw what the Lord endured, what the Lord suffered. The tears rolled down my cheeks, she said. I remember that meeting. I finished I was coming down the aisle of the church this side. I was walking down. And as I was walking down, just at the very back where Derek Owen's sitting now, right on that seat, that girl bounced out in front of me. And of course, you're wondering, is this a heckler? But I I knew who she was. And she bounced out and she grabbed me by the arm. And I mean, she had a grip of my arm and I thought, what's wrong? And she was shaking. I mean, shaking. And she was crying her eyes out and she says Reverend Martin Reverend Martin I need to get saved and I need to get saved now now I need to get saved now and I saw the power of the word of God preached and Christ presented and she went into that inquiry room and she got saved and she's going around our churches testifying tonight the power in the word of God now tell me where do you stand with the Lord you have the soul winner's promise and you have the soul winner's prize so I'll not get finishing these two points I'll be kind to you uh, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing and then the soul winner's prize bringing his sheaves with him wouldn't it be wonderful if there was only one that's right just the one that came to Christ in the mission what about tonight as I close where do you stand with God are you saved Do you know how to get saved? Preacher, I know I need to be saved, but I didn't ask you that. I asked you another question. Do you know how to get saved? Well, if you will acknowledge now that you're a sinner, do you believe that? Yes, I do. I'm a sinner. That means then you're shut out of heaven. That's right. It means you cannot save yourself. That's right. And that now if you die in your sin, you'll be in hell. That's right. Do you believe that Christ died for you yesterday. Do you believe that he suffered as your substitute, that he took sin upon himself? And he bore that accursed load as your substitute, and he paid the price for your sin, I do. Will you are willing now to repent, turn from it, and will you receive Christ? Will you ask him into your heart now to be your saviour? And friend, listen to me. If you will do that, he will save you. 
and he will save you now. Let's just bow briefly in prayer, and the Reverend Murray will come and close with a hymn. Loving Father, we do pray you'll bless the word to our hearts tonight. Speak to every soul. Lord, leave none untouched, saved and unsaved alike. And Lord, we pray that you'll answer prayer now and bless the preaching of thy holy word. We offer prayer in the Savior's precious name.